good Sunday morning, Chapel Roswell. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here. And as we continue to wander and move through the wilderness, this morning we take a stop on Ash, excuse me, on, uh, on Palm Sunday. Ash Wednesday was before. Palm Sunday is a time when the people celebrated the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Let's go to the scripture. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Hear the words of God. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, that was a geographical location, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter this village, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone were to ask you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord needs it and he will send it back here shortly. They went and they found a colt outside in the street. It was tied at a doorway as they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road. That was like kind of maybe at a 4th of July parade waving the American flag or the red, white, and blue. The people were doing the same thing there. They were celebrating. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went in front of them, they were followed by others and they were shouting, Hosanna, Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's the word of God. Will you pray with me? Most gracious and loving God, we thank you for leading and guiding each of us here to this place this morning. And let us hear the words of Jesus. I pray that we can sense the movement, Lord, the direction, the calling of your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, we not only learn about you, but because of the movement and presence of your Holy Spirit, God, we learn from you. Take our fears and turn them into joy. Take our worries and transform it into peace. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. Amen. So Jesus was on a little colt on the way into Jerusalem. Let's talk about some other modes of transportation. Here's a question for you. You can see this picture up here. What type of aircraft is Air Force One? Anybody guess? Some of you will say a 747. Anyone want to say anything else? Technically, Air Force One is any plane on which the president is on. It could be a Cessna. It doesn't have to be that 747. That's usually the one. But any plane in which the president is flying. Okay, next question. What type of car is this? That is the Pope Mobile. That's a specialized Mercedes, but regardless of whatever country he goes in, they use a special car based on that country's kind of industry. In one case, it's a Mercedes, as you see the Pope there. Ever since the Pope John Paul attempted assassination in 1981, the Pope Mobiles have been outfitted with armor plating and bulletproof glass. Wow. Okay, let's look at a presidential limousine. What kind of car is this? Yeah, it's a caddy. The largest collection of presidential limos is actually at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. But since the terrorist attacks of 2001, the Secret Service mandates that all presidential limos are destroyed so it preserves national security. They don't want to know all the secrets of the car. And finally, what kind of car was this? The 1966 Batmobile. 
built on a Lincoln chassis, the coolest superhero car that you could find. And in the scripture this morning, Jesus rode into town on, of all things, a donkey. It was a lowly beast of burden. But you see, this was a powerful image for a lot of different reasons. You see, 700 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah foretold that the Messiah would enter the holy city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now, this would be odd because usually kings, when they would usher themselves into town, would come on a mighty white stallion. But but here we see Jesus coming in on a lowly, common donkey. Jesus was showing them that following him is different than following the social norms. Jesus was showing them that following him doesn't always look the way that you and I think that it should or that it would or that it could. Let me tell you about a man named Henry DeLayer. Henry DeLayer was running late that day. It was February 1956, a cold, snowy day in rural Pennsylvania. Harry was a Dutch immigrant, and he was a horse trainer at the exclusive Knox School on Long Island. He had come to a horse auction to buy a cheap horse for his students to ride, but Harry got there late. By the time he had arrived, the only horses left were those that were unwanted, the so-called rejects that no one bought. But one of those horses was a thin, dirty, gray plow horse from nearby Amish country. It caught Harry's eye. He paid $80 for this large horse, and he sort of sarcastically named it Snowman. Snowman was headed now to Long Island, and oh my goodness, how the kids loved him. Harry and his wife had eight children. They all adored Snowman, as did all of the kids at this private school where he taught riding. They could be found in Long Island Sound with Snowman in the water with the kids. They would use the large horse as a jumping board. But finances were tight, and eventually Harry had to sell Snowman. He sold the horse to a neighbor who owned a farm six miles down the road. So Snowman was gone. But not for long. Snowman would repeatedly sneak away from his new home only to end up back at Harry's house. This happened several times, time and time again. Eventually, Harry became so curious as to how the large horse was able to to make the journey back home. Not only did he know how to go, but there were a lot of fences that he would have to maneuver somehow. And so as it turns out, he noticed that the horse, Snowman, was a jumper, a horse that could jump really well. So Harry bought the horse back from the man and decided to enter Snowman in a horse jumping competition. Snowman easily won, and that started Snowman's show jumping career. In just two short years, Snowman had cleared every hurdle he had faced, out jumping the top thoroughbred show horses in the country and jumping straight into the hearts across the nation. In 1958, Harry and Snowman swept the triple crown of show jumping and completed at Madison Square Garden in New York, where Snowman became the first ever horse to win the prestigious Open Jumper Championship two years in a row. In a world where money and pedigree reigned, Harry and the mixed-bred Snowman were quite the improbable pair. Some even laughed when they entered the ring, but Harry and Snowman would always have the last laugh. Their Cinderella story, it just grabbed and pulled at the heartstrings of a hurting nation. They soon became the rags-to-riches media favorites of the late 1950s and early 1960s. 
Their story appeared in Life magazine. They were on the popular game show to tell the truth. They were on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson where, where Johnny grabbed a stepladder and he climbed atop snowman. There was even a, a, a book entitled The $80 Champion. Remember, that's how much Harry paid for the horse, $80. It was an interesting twist of fate that Harry would be late when he would find Snowman. It was a strange twist of fate that Harry would have to sell Snowman, but another change of fate, pace that the, the horse kept coming back to Harry's house. It was a strange twist of fate that Snowman would become one of the most well-known horses on the planet. So many things had to fall into place in order to end up the way that they ended up. Friends, this morning is the start of Holy Week. Remember the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ? It referred to the suffering of Jesus. The word passion in Greek means literally to suffer. So Holy Week starts with Palm Sunday. And the writers of the gospel spend a lot of time focusing on the upcoming pivotal days. Matthew, Mark, and Luke devote a third of their entire content to Jesus' final week. John devotes half of his book to Holy Week and the next eight days after that. It would seemingly end on Friday with the crucifixion, the agonizing death of Jesus. We call it Good Friday, not because it was good, but because the word good means holy. So it's Holy Friday, as we call it on Good Friday. People who had followed Jesus started to give up hope. Friday was a day of death and brutality, but, but despite that death and brutality of Jesus, Sunday was coming. That's what we celebrate on Easter. But before the arrest and crucifixion, Jesus came into Jerusalem. It was the time of Passover, and it was one of the highlights of his ministry before he was killed. People had heard of Jesus, and many Jews thought that he could be the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would fend off their oppressors. Jesus was going to finally make things right for the Jews who were oppressed by the Roman Empire. The Messiah, they thought, would be the one who would drive off the mighty Romans. Turns out Jesus was here to fight the enemy, but not the enemy that they thought. Jesus was to take away sin and shame and not political regime. But as Jesus approached Jerusalem, people were lining the streets. It was like a parade. People had heard of his healings and his teaching and his miracles. They were excited to see Jesus up close, to be a part of history, that perhaps this is the Messiah. <coughs> it was Passover, a sacred Jewish holiday of remembrance, and devout Jews from all over the world would, would converge on Jerusalem, where the population swelled from about 50,000 people to more than half a million it would be a joyous event with a triumphant entry into town. And the crowds were cheering Hosanna, which literally means save now. Save now. In anticipation, as a sign of respect and excitement, they threw down their cloaks and their robes and their, their, their clothes on the ground. They picked up palm branches, which symbolized a sign of victory. Again, very similar to the ways you might raise a pom-pom at a football game or a flag on the 4th of July. The crowd cheered in this joyful parade. They shouted his name. They proclaimed their belief and their hopes in him. But mere days later, the people seemed jaded and angry. They expected one thing from Jesus, but he brought something a little unexpected to them. His message of love and forgiveness went only, went only really so far as the crowd had war and blood on their minds. The people would turn on him, and the same crowds that were yelling Hosanna were soon yelling, crucify him. 
My, how things change. I became a Christian, a follower of Christ, when I was 12 years old. When I was in high school, I was even invited to to preach at our church. But years later, my walk with Christ was about the last thing on my mind. My, how things change. During my television career, God was the last thing on my mind. I I didn't deny God publicly. I would never do that, considered myself a, a Christian. But my lifestyles, my attitudes, my relationships certainly didn't breathe follower of Christ. I wasn't a bad guy, but I wasn't living my life for God. I was more concerned with myself. My, how things change. Many of us have had mountaintop experiences where we feel so alive in God's presence, but later we go back into the normal flow of our lives and go back into the same patterns and routines. My, how things change. The Israelites were saved by God's mercy He rained down miracle after miracle to bring them out of bondage in Egypt. But they would soon forget about God's mercy and protection. And when things started to go wrong, they would grumble and complain and rely on their own abilities instead of the power and the presence and the movement of God. My, how things change. The same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, would mere days later be shouting, crucify him. My, how things change. We praise God when it's on our terms and within the confines of our time frame or our lifestyles, but only when we're willing to meet with him on our agenda. When it's on God's time, we kind of feel awkward. It was a a fickle crowd in the lining the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus, they thought, would be performing things to their liking, but they turned on him when they were disappointed. They didn't see the big picture. They didn't understand fully the prophecy that talked about why the the, the Lord was sending the Messiah in the first place. But all through this, Christ continued to carry out his calling, his divine mission. It led him into hostile territory, but he kept going. How, How is God calling you to follow him Maybe even through some seemingly hostile territory. Certainly through places that are unfamiliar. Places that are different than maybe we expect. Certainly different than maybe the ways we want them to be. Certainly different time from where God calls us to be. For Jesus, it was life-threatening. For you and for me, it may not be life-threatening. It could be essence-threatening. It could be painful. It could be uncertain. There are days, friends, when we have to take it minute by minute, not knowing exactly what the future holds, but banking on who holds the future. How are we able to follow Christ instead of following the crowd? Maybe we're being called to address a certain sin in our lives, and that's uncomfortable or awkward. Maybe we're called to recognize those growing areas in our lives, and that takes discipline and time. Maybe we're called to follow Jesus to a point of forgiveness for someone who has wronged us or hurt us, to show compassion on those with whom we're currently angry. Maybe we're called to take a stand against injustice around us instead of assuming that someone else will take care of that. Maybe we're called to hold out hope for someone or something in particular even when it seems that hope is gone, that hope is lost. Maybe we're called to give up our own agendas to accept God's mission for us. 
maybe at times, friends, you felt distant from God, but he wants to have a place in your heart and in your life. And when we're called to accept that fact and understand that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, we can fully understand the grace of Christ and the presence of a loving God. Palm Sunday is about the victorious, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It would end in death. Remember Harry's name? What was the name of the horse? Anybody remember? Snowman. Remember when Harry was late for the auction and Snowman was the last horse there? Turns out Snowman was actually already loaded into the back of a truck. And he was being hauled off to the slaughterhouse before Harry stopped them. Seeing that Snowman's fate had been sealed, he was going to be killed. But Harry paid the driver, took the unwanted horse, and helped the horse live out his potential. That's what God does for you and for me. That Jesus came to pay the price that, that you and I can't pay. Why? Be, because God loves you. Because God has a plan and purpose for you and with you. I'm a sinner. I, I can't stand before God as blameless and worthy. But through his death, Christ paid that price that says, No, Joe, to me, you are worthy because you are a child of God. And Jesus said, I'll die in your place. And that's what he did. In the resurrection, Christ offers that gift, that promise of eternal life, that he's defeated sin and overcome death, and through him, so can you, and so can I. My, how things change in the matter of days. Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing his fate. He would be arrested. He would be unfairly tried. He would be brutally executed. So why did he do it? To share in your pain, to take away our sin, so that we can be able to live lives free. What does that freedom look like in your life and in my life? Finally, I want to take two minutes and 21 seconds to show you something that blessed me. Maybe it'll bless you. I want you to check out the video on the big screens. says after Mary died, he fell into a deep depression, spent days just staring out at the squirrels. What were you living for? I was trying to figure that out, honestly. You had no purpose? No. You were just waiting to die? Yeah. For six months, it was just that bad. And then one day you go to a grocery store. <laughs> it all changed inside this Publix. Dan was nearing the end of the canned vegetable aisle. He hates grocery shopping, and by all accounts, the expression on his face confirmed his aggravation. But that's when this unapproachable man was approached by a four-year-old girl named Nora Wood. In the security footage, you can see Nora randomly reaching out to him. Her mom, Tara, says it was quite embarrassing. 
She says, hi, old person. It's my birthday today. Old person? Old person. Hi, old person. She says this to this cranky old man. Yeah. And then had the audacity to demand a hug. I said, a hug? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Nora got her hug and then asked her mom to take a picture of her with her new friend. She zeroed in on him like a missile. And she didn't want anything from him. She just wanted to make him feel loved and give him a hug. And his little lip quivered and he was teared up and it was just sweet. And I said, you don't know, this is the first time for quite a while that I've been this happy. That all happened a couple months ago and his grin has only gotten wider since. Hi, sweetheart, come in, come in. Today, Nora visits at least once a week. Well, how's my sweetie, huh? And every time, it's the grocery store all over again. I knew I was gonna get a hug. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. It's a bridge. It's a bridge, oh, okay. Dan does have grandkids of his own, but they're all grown and gone. And Nora does have grandparents, but her mom says this is a completely different kind of bond that almost defies explanation. She fell asleep holding a picture of them. I, what? <laughs> to Dan, it's equally miraculous, but far less mysterious. He believes Nora is quite literally an angel. She opened me to a love that I didn't know existed. When your wife died, felt like you didn't have any purpose anymore. Do you feel like you have a purpose now? Of course. Nora, watching her grow up, I know I made room in my heart for a lot more. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Augusta, Georgia. The young girl's presence gave his life newfound purpose. Friends, Jesus wants to bring to your life purpose and peace, hope, joy. He wants to bring about restoration in your relationships, in your schooling, in your vocation, in your parenting, into your marriage. That's the good news that God brings about. His love and forgiveness is free, but my, oh my, it was costly. It cost Jesus his life. Friends, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the ways in which you are calling us to live our lives, Lord, for you, to stake our claim to understand that, that we have been forgiven, that we have been set free, that you bring about hope and peace and restoration, that only you can bring about the joy that this world can't even begin to offer. How, Lord, does that look in our lives now? Maybe, Lord, right now there's part of our lives that seem hopeless or shut off from you or dark and decaying and scary. But you can bring about light. You can bring about hope. You can bring about peace. Lord, let us remember the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and welcome him with a triumphant entry into our lives. We 
thank you for the ways in which you love us, forgive us, redeem us, and set us free. May we respond to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.